0: prom Whoa. night everything is all right john Kitch. john it's it, quite night. the party hey no john. more feeling up tight john i yeah you, what, gotta, you gotta turn the music turn the music down oh
1: what's i've got what's going on i've got I'm, some I'm practicing for prom i i know i i've got some bad news man uh Ooh. prom's been canceled Prom's been canceled uh, due to the coronavirus. So, Wait, I mean, you got me some sweet prom moves. Canceled. That pra- prom, prom is canceled. Uh, I've you know. I've i been practicing it. all these know. sweet
0: disco moves.
1: I know. It's what the kids do. It's what they go to do is, yeah. is dance the disco.
0: And I've also been plotting my revenge for this very night, Eric. Wait, I have the pig's blood above the rafter to pour on the prom queen I have an axe hidden backstage to decapitate the prom king, all in my plot for revenge. And you're saying that that is canceled now? Yes, revenge is definitely canceled. stupid social distancing. Ruins everything. It does.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Terror Test. I'm Eric. And I'm John. As fans of horror, our goal is to weigh the merits of films based on three categories, production, monster
0: quality, and scare factor, to decide whether to admit them into our sacred horror canon. In this podcast we will put horror movies to the test to determine what to watch next, what's worth revisiting, and what to recommend to the uninitiated. Number two pencils ready? And begin. All right, so we are... Continuing through um, our study of Dead Blondes and Bad Mothers by Sadie Doyle. And we're moving on to chapter two, um, which is about virginity. And so we're watching two movies tonight, um, Prom Night and Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, which I guess I would say the the common thread is that they're both about... Um, Adults acting like high school kids and (laughs) dealing with um, promiscuous behavior and the consequences. Yeah, I mean, this is the introduction to the dead blondes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's get into it. Um, We'll start with Prom Night. Uh, This movie was released in 1980, directed by Paul. By Robert Guzman. Starring, incomparable, Leslie Nielsen as Mr. Hammond. <laughs> uh, Scream Queen, Jamie Lee Curtis as Kim Hammond. Um, Casey Stevens as Nick. and marie Martin as Wendy. Um, and Robert A. Silverman as Mr. Sykes. Um, who we, you may recognize from some of uh, his David Cronenberg films. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get into production.
1: Okay, so production. We are looking to see that the film is timeless in the power and effectiveness of its writing, direction, acting, cinematography, special effects, iconography, and portrayal of its subject matter. Um, You know, as as dated as this movie might feel when, I don't know, when you're watching it, I feel like it almost seems like a period piece to an extent um it's so like end of end of disco like i think disco dies in, in this movie i think <laughs> i think that's one of the victims yeah as well um but uh at, at first it, well, okay sorry when you first watch it you think oh it'd be Kind of like a cheap slasher. I'm sorry to throw like the word cheap in there with slasher. I, ha- I have my own issues with like I slasher genre, but
0: I mean a lot of them are notoriously cheap. That's fine. True,
1: but I th- I want to give this one a little bit more credit in terms of the cinematography. The kill scenes in this movie are amazing. Like in terms of like the cuts uh, and the sound effects. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, i uh, in particular. Because a lot of the the like the kills kind of run together for mm-hmm. me at the end, but it's where she's kind of like like one person's died already, and she's kind of running away f- through the hallways of the killer and is locked in a closet I think, and then discovers one of the bodies yeah, and they're like cut Kelly, I think so. Or, there's this no windy
0: windy windy.
1: There are these amazing cuts between like. Um, you know, the killer's outline and the knife and the door handle and the blood splatter and, like, all these things put together where the timing of it is amazing. Uh-huh. And, I, and I don't want to, like, you know, discount that. I mean, it, maybe it was just my own bias and assumptions in the beginning where it just took me by surprise and I, I, I liked the way that it was put
0: together. Yeah, I think this in many ways is... A run-of-the-mill slasher movie a teen slasher movie um yeah. but in some important ways i think it is still pretty unique and interesting and so yeah i would say that it it does sort of um kind of rise above to to you know an upper tier teen slasher um it's not perfect by any means mm-hmm. um but I think there are some, some elements of production that are, are worth, are worth talking about. Um, I mean, first, I guess, Jamie Lee Curtis um, as Kim. Um, I mean, this is not long after Halloween where she played mm-hmm. another, I mean, just a very similar character. Um, mm-hmm. And I think she's really strong in this. Um, She's a good little dancer. Um, and I think, uh, I think she dances in other in later films too. So um, she's kind of a at least a double threat, if not a triple threat. I haven't heard her sing. Um, but yeah, she's solid. Um, I think Leslie Nielsen is like such a waste of potential. Like, I was really hoping to have some, like, humor in this because um, he is, you know, the white-haired Leslie Nielsen from, like, um, oh, God, what, what were those movies? The Naked Gun, um, where he's just so goofy and off the wall, and he just plays it completely straight here. Yeah, but it just seems like a wasted opportunity because um, there could have been some more humor in the movie um, because I think all the humor that comes from the movie is uh, unintentional, and it comes from, yes, all yes. the disco.
1: <laughs> You're right. I, no, it, it, is, it is definitely unintentional. Um, I think it's that classic sort of thing terrible teenage acting, or not even teenage acting, but adults playing teenagers acting. Yeah. But I will say, um, being just completely green going into the movie, the beginning of the scene, like the story, Mm -hmm. or the beginning of the scene, the first scene at the beginning of the movie that sets up the story, I thought was awesome and creepy. I mean...
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was so into it.
1: Yes, like the kids playing around is that like an abandoned hospital?
0: Is that what it is? Oh, it looked like a an abandoned
1: school. School?
0: Yeah, and I you're... actually thought it was going to be like where there like something happened to the school that like you know, let it t- into ruin and that we were going to learn that story. Um mm, mm-hmm. but even even though it didn't go there, still this idea of kids playing this like hide and seek game but with killers like Mm -hmm. it just Mm -hmm. adds this like clever this real darkness um, mixed with innocence um, in a school setting that I think just sets up the rest of the movie perfectly
1: yeah and and like that was one of my notes is that (laughs) kids are so creepy and, like, used brilliantly at the beginning of this movie. And there's enough suspense in, in that first, what, like, eight minutes. Yeah. Um, that it's a, it's a nice setup. I can't say that that continues throughout the whole movie. But it's, it, I, it was really thoughtful. It was really clever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I enjoyed it. Um, but then, you know, so this girl who joins the kids um, accidentally falls out of a window dying. And then the plot becomes, I know what you did last summer. Uh, yes. Yeah. Where the kids, you know, make a pact that they'll never tell what happened. And then it's those kids that are first getting called and then getting attacked one by one mm-hmm. on prom night. Is there a specific reason why that night is I mean, was that, like, the anniversary or something? Like, why that night?
1: I don't know. I think it was just a statement. I If, if, it, if it was some sort of anniversary, uh, like, I it, I didn't get there. Okay.
0: Um, uh,
1: like, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, I didn't notice it. So, I, I, I think maybe it was just, like, the social gathering to, like, make a statement. I mean... Where else yeah, can you uh, cut off the prom king's head and
0: just
1: okay, throw I, it out there on the disco dance floor?
0: I can go with that to an extent, but there was never, um, it didn't seem like there was ever a plan to in any way kind of reveal what um, these mm. kids had done. You know, like mm. they hmm there's never anything where they're going to be forced, you know, at ax point to confess to what happened or for the public at large to, you know, learn about, um, you know, the, the real cause of this girl's death. So it just seemed, um, I don't know. Uh, just I slashers, you, 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 you can't expect them to get too deep into the psychology of the killer. But at the same time, we're talking about like production of a movie and like the motivation of characters is important. And it's,
1: yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, the kids know. are young enough. Like the, um, you know, the brother is young enough. That it does beg the question. Why didn't he tell somebody like he wasn't a part of that act? Like, right. Why? Why didn't he say anything? Or maybe he did say something, and that's why the mother was so distraught. And like, I don't know. Yeah, but but it's I flimsy. So. I agree with you. I think I think story. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely a big a big hole is in like the mo. Right beyond revenge, beyond revenge, obviously.
0: Um, um I mean, I, I would say revenge is is really the only kind of theme it's the millennium yeah no, it's not. um there i mean the so much of the movie i think is about kind of setting up all or at least the first half of the movie is about setting up all of these red herrings so that you have like right a half dozen potential suspects right um And so the movie's really like trying to keep us guessing um, about the killer. Um, I feel like I figured it out pretty early. Um, I don't know. I mean, as much as I like that opening scene, it it really kind of limits the number of potential killers because we know it's related to that
1: right right so well but what i like about that and you can see why this is the template for scream and for subsequent slashers is that like everyone's a suspect like within that group like but i i don't know yeah i think it was pretty easy to guess that it was related i i'll tell you what like i i half expected it to be the young girl
0: like actually coming back like she didn't die oh um yeah i thought that for a little bit but um i mean by by the time the prom actually started i mean it was all but certain that it was the brother i mean because right. he, just, he just disappears for the second half of the movie right right um if they were going to try to like make us believe that it wasn't him, like they could have included him doing something, but I mean, he was busy killing everyone. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so he can't um, be there. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think this makes this movie um, kind of stand out from the rest of the slasher pack is the, uh the love that it has for some of the characters um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm thinking of slick specifically like <laughs> here comes this dude who is like so problematic when he first a- arrives because <laughs> he's trying to pick up uh this high school girl in a van and um <laughs> he turns out to not be as as weird and as creepy as we initially thought in Mm -hmm. fact um there's a moment when um after he's with um the girl i i think it's jude that he ends up sleeping with um you know, and they talk about how it was, like, the best they've ever had. And then Jude yeah.
1: um, says, like,
0: you know, oh, so it's was your first time, too. And yeah. it just, like, adds, like, a, a little bit of, like, sweetness to this invulnerability vulnerability to this yeah. character. Um, that could have just been a one-note joke. Um, I mean, I wish we got that with characters like the unibrow guy. Um who really is just a one dimensional bad guy Um, Mm -hmm. or even a little bit of psychology with the brother. Um, But, you know, the main characters like Kim and Nick and Wendy and then, yeah. um, Slick and Mr. Sykes. Like, I, I feel like there, there's enough there to like care about, Mm-hmm. At least some of the characters.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I think too. Uh, kind of tying this back to uh, to Doyle is that I think prom night, even though it's pretty, it's pretty formulaic um, as as a slasher. I don't think it necessarily adheres to all the tropes that we've come to expect with a lot of slashers. I. I'm thinking of like um, like drug use or um, even the idea what does she say? She says uh, Do you like she she says that um, a lot of the camera is like leering or dim bimbo characterization of the girls, the cameras focus on mutilated breasts and lacerated faces and melting, bubbling female skin. I don't know. I, I guess the females are maybe the majority of the victims in this, but not in the way that say uh, like Friday the 13th is. Do you know what I mean?
0: Um, I didn't... Yeah. Do you it, feel it, like... I mean, there's some gratuitousness. Um, but yeah, I, I would say it's it's a little more um tame than yeah then yeah the really raunchy stuff um I mean it does you know have topless women and um uh decapitations and That's violence, true. you know it felt that. like but even
1: some of the violence felt more like like jallo to me than yeah. It, yeah, it's just because some of the blood color was very like that, very much like bright, like painty looking. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's just because it's a product of the time, uh, or if that's like a stylistic thing. But uh, I don't know. It it seemed uh, like I like I said at the beginning, it kind of seemed more of like a period piece than something that felt quote unquote outdated. Do you yeah, I mean? yeah um so i I mean all in all production wise there's a lot there's a lot of this movie that i really liked and i kind of want to give it a point
0: this um does have um a trope that I, i really do enjoy that should be considered like bad but i just find it endlessly enjoyable and that is when a car drives off a cliff and explodes in midair, <laughs> yeah, um, I, that doesn't that's bother me either. <laughs> what happens? To slicks. I I enjoy it. I love that. Um, it's so inexplicable. Um, yeah.
1: No, no, that's up there for me too. That's right up next to like the Wilhelm scream. Yeah, I, I just I'll I'll take it every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, I think. Yeah, I, I'm kind of on the on the borderline here between giving it a a point and not because um, you know there were moments when I kind of zoned out a bit um, because I mean some of the pursuit scenes seemed like the chase scenes seemed pretty long mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and there wasn't really much suspense in. The killer um but yeah I, I guess there's enough there that makes me think okay um sure we, I'll, I'll give a point for production it's enjoyable
1: yeah i really like, i i enjoyed it more than more than i thought i would Okay. Great. So that takes us to monster quality. The film's monsters are frightening, clearly relate to archetypal fears, and have depth. I think something that you were saying uh, in the previous category is that, you know, our killer does lack a lot of depth. You mm-hmm. know, we have the motivation for revenge just being, you know, the first victim's brother. But uh, other than that, I, I can't, it's hard to say that there's depth in there. Something that Doyle says um related to you know the the idea of the female monster at least is that um for modern audiences and i would even say to more modern movies and this i think is going to apply more to fire walk with me is that okay so the assumption of a lot of readings of 80 slashers is that there's a uh that it has a majority male audience uh-huh. um but in later movies that presumption actually doesn't hold up that there are a lot of females in the audience and a lot of females who like slashers and so if that is true that if it's not exclusive to the territory of young men she says it stands to reason that our theories have to change in response the question then becomes not what frustrations men are venting upon the dead blonde but what an- but what anxieties she might embody for women Yeah,
0: Um, that's really an interesting way of of looking at the slasher. Um, Right. Because, yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, uh, yeah, it's not just a, uh, it's not just like a phallic fetish film Mm -hmm. where like every pointy thing is a phallus, right? So reading it as the anxieties that the victims might embody for women totally changed my thinking. Like after I read that totally changed my thinking on slashers. I was one who like, I didn't necessarily enjoy slashers because they felt too formulaic. But then as I thought about it that way, reading it as symbols, which you have to do with Lynch, right? Like Uh he forces you. even in the very beginning of fire walk with me, like he's like, you have to read the symbols in this movie. Uh (laughs) Uh, but I, again, I'm putting the cart before the horse. Like, um, uh, I oh, think we're, we're talking about Paul out. Lynch
0: here, not David Lynch.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, wrong Lynch. Wrong um, Lynch. But, yeah. but in this one, I think we can even force ourselves to do the same, even though it is an '80s slasher. If we like see each of those kids as symbols, if we see like each of the victims as symbols, um, I think maybe we can uncover the layers instead of looking at the just like the the revenge filled killer but thinking about like what else is at stake so i don't don't know i don't have very many answers to that but it just a different way to read the movie
0: yeah yeah that part really stood out to me too and, and has me kind of rethinking the whole genre as well um because it is very easy to assume that um these movies are directed towards male audiences um, because Mm -hmm. so many of them contain the male gaze and a lot of gratuitous nudity um, and violence towards women. Um, But yeah, thinking about it um, from that perspective where um, these are almost like cautionary tales for, for women or, or, or visualizations of, Um, what society is expecting of women and so it's like informing women in a way that like other um, uh, uh, other media isn't is is really really interesting Um, like um, there's there's a a quotation from the book um, where she continues this idea Slasher movies are released in part because they give a name and a face to the problem. They mm. transform our culture's underlying sexual violence into spectacle and story, giving us monsters to fear and heroines to root for. They cathect all that low-level anxiety into quick, bright, bloody bursts of fear. Um, and so that, that makes sense as, as a genre. Um, but, like, I'm, I'm kind of interested in applying that to this movie which it doesn't seem to have i mean the nature of the killing isn't based on around sex it's it's based around revenge
1: right but if we think about those moments where the killer takes revenge i think each of those scenes is symbolic of sort of a pressure or anxiety on young females so like back to your question about like why prom night um i'm thinking about that like all the uh, social pressures and anxieties that go into and get put upon uh, like young females for prom it's like everything is the performance and like it's sort of like on the plate of of the young lady of that night. Right. There's like the pressure, like I'm thinking about the van scene that you brought Mm -hmm. up to, um, like you said in the movie, the story, it kind of goes the opposite that we might expect where she's not taking advantage of in the van. Like this isn't a creep who's there with her. The creeps in the woods. It's (laughs) consensual. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, but I think that scene is supposed to represent that fear that, that, you know, young ladies should have <laughs> with that situation. Yeah, um, like
0: or Jamie even like Curtis yeah. is. I mean, once again, like in Halloween, she's the one that even she's in a relationship this time, but mm-hmm. and, and it may even be a, a sexual relationship. It seems to be implied that it is. Uh, but on prom night, they like she's dancing. She's you know getting ready for the ceremony. She's, she's dancing Mm -hmm. with her dad, the principal. Um, like Mm -hmm. she is kind of doing all the right things. Like she's doing what's expected of her, Mm -hmm. um, on prom night. She's keeping her virtue. Um, Mm -hmm. whereas, yeah, it's, it's the women that kind of go off and, Mm -hmm. um, and be with men, or you know, Wendy, who is scheming for revenge. She, um, you no, know, they're the ones that that are killed. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I see the connection there, um, and that's interesting. But I don't know if if there's enough intentional. Exactly, uh, I,
1: that's where I feel like it falls yeah. short. Uh, I think again, I think that's why prom night is an important movie as a, as a template. Mm-hmm. But uh, like you said, I don't, I don't know that the intent uh, is there. I, that's why, that's why I think that, that it does lack depth. It has the archetypes. Yeah. Uh, in place, but I don't know if it goes far enough. Right. Um, yeah. And I think we'll see that with scare factor too. I, I think it's, I don't know, like you said, it's unintentionally funny in some places um, to where it doesn't really come across as being frightening, in a way that it could be.
0: Right. Yeah, and so I don't think I'll give it a point here. Um, um, I mean, ultimately, you know, even though the genre itself is obsessed with sex, uh this movie that the text of the movie is focusing on revenge. We have two mm-hmm. revenge plots mm-hmm. and, you know, both, uh, result in death and, and bad things happening. Um, Kim is Kim and Nick are spared. Um, Nick wants to tell her what, what happened. He wants to come clean. Whereas like the three women uh, were oh, n- never intended to, to reveal what, what really happened. And they were sort of punished for it, I guess, in, in terms mm-hmm. of, of how they ended up in the movie. And mm-hmm. then her brother... Um, you know, he was driven by revenge. He was ultimately a failure, which I think that kind of very public reveal was interesting. Uh Um, That that was sort of unusual. You you rarely ever see a killer unmasked in public in that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I thought that, and, and then ultimately, you know. Kim, our heroine, is sympathetic towards him. The other plot being, you know, Windy wanting to punish Kim. And so coming up with some kind of scheme with the unibrow dude to... Like, what what was the plan? That the unibrow guy was going to walk out as prom king? (laughs) And then she was gonna have to dance with them or something like what was the plot <laughs> i think that's it okay
1: i, I, think, I think that was the plan is like all of that for one dance
0: i don't i don't know i mean i was i was ready for some like carry level you know, know humiliation but it didn't seem like it was that well thought out um
1: no no
0: so, but they, you know, they all get what's coming to them. So it's just, okay. um, yeah, there's just not much there, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said earlier, you know, the motivation of the killer, it just, it's a little sketchy. So I'm not going to give it a point for monster quality.
1: Yeah, same. I I think it's almost there. There's a lot of almosts in yeah. this movie, but, yeah. um, but it doesn't, doesn't quite hit it for me so scare factor the film has uh, the film has a clear intent to scare and must be successful in that objective from beginning to end um same thing is that it has some moments has a little sparkle but i don't think it's always successful
0: yeah i scared. think it has an intent but i don't think it's successful Well, or some yeah. moments that uh were scary for you
1: like I said, I, I think just about every kill scene, I mean, everything up to like the head falling out onto the platform, like the stage, um, some of those moments are really, are really terrifying and effective, but um, I don't think as a whole that the movie is successful. I, uh, I, I love the moment that Jamie Lee Curtis brings down the axe. Uh, on mm-hmm. the guy's head, it's very blunt and just like, well, there we go. <laughs> like, yeah, and then over. she drops
0: it and and right in front of him, and I'm like, yeah. what have you learned? Nothing from yeah. Halloween. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, the I don't know. There, like, runs off. Uh, I mean, some of the kills, like um, one of the first ones, is with a girl named Kelly in the locker room. And that's when it gets into like super slow motion, and mm-hmm. I thought all of that looked terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. See,
1: I like I even I I'd, I'd forgotten about that one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I I feel like You're right. you know not all of the death scenes even worked, and you know there are some pretty cheap jump scares. I honestly think the the opening scene with the kids. Playing that killer game in the abandoned school was it was creepy. Yeah. Yeah, these kids were so mean. <laughs> it did such a good job of like building up this mm-hmm. um yeah, this atmosphere of of dread and innocence and death and all of this, but it it ultimately it kind of squandered it. So yeah, I'm mm-hmm. not gonna give it a point for Scare Factor.
1: Yeah, me either. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's diaper. Uh, it's almost honorable mention for me, but just because I know it's, you know, sort of revered as a classic in a sense. But I don't know if it can compete with the other things that we have in honorable mention. Yeah, I think um, it was fun. I'm glad. I'm glad I watched it. But
0: yeah, like I said, I think it's in the upper echelon of uh 80s teen slasher movies but um there are others that that just do it better and so um this one doesn't feel quite essential so let's move on to our second lynch film of the night this is david lynch's twin peaks fire walk with me released in 1922 uh Written um, and directed by David Lynch, also written by Robert Engels, based on the show by David Lynch and Mark Frost, starring Sheryl Lee as Laura Palmer, Ray Wise as Leland Palmer, Chris Isaac as Special Agent Chester Desmond, Kyle McLaughlin as Special Agent Dale Cooper. David Bowie as Philip Jeffries. Um, I mean, and a lot of other... I mean, it's a pretty stacked cast. Kiefer Sutherland's in it for a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And and then, you know, almost everyone from the show returns. Um, And so, yeah, let's get into production.
1: So, oh my gosh. So, So let me preface this with we are not going to be able to fully unpack (laughs) uh, the layers of like meaning and intent and purpose of this movie in the next 25 minutes or so. Like there's no way (laughs) Um, this is probably what this is my, I would say third or fourth time watching this movie and uh-huh. I already want to go back and rewatch all of Twin Peaks old and new. Like Oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's it, it, when you get into anything Twin Peaks related, it's a commitment. It's it's a rabbit hole that you love to burrow down in and uh, I just have to say that before we get into our discussion. Like we we're not going to get all of it. What um, right. I do what I do like really appreciate about Doyle, though, is Doyle sp- spends a sp- significant amount of time talking about Laura Palmer and Firewalk with me. Um, and I think she, you know, really latches on. I mean, I feel like in this chapter to her, Laura is the dead blonde, like she's sort of the quintessential dead blonde in a lot of ways. And then that made me rethink uh, a lot of that for Lynch as well seeing it through that lens is okay like that it's lynch's dead blonde too um Mm -hmm. even though if we get back into like the show she also has a double that's a brunette um at another point but i forgot that that plot point right Um, um but I think what Doyle touches on that I think it's a, is it, important to start the conversation about Firewalk with me and Twin Peaks is the idea of duality. Right. Uh-huh. So because it's filled with doppelgangers, we have the White Lodge, the Black Lodge, we have like you know, we have Reality, and then we also have like this surreal Like alternate universe happening, Mm -hmm. you know, where they talk in reverse and all that. So there's just a lot going on. That was a really long way of saying we're not going to get it all.
0: (laughs) Right. And we even have, um, like, for the first half hour or so, um, we follow Chris Isaac and Kiefer Kiefer Sutherland as these two FBI agents. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we never hear from them again Mm -hmm. and um you know chester desmond is is like a um, a double of dale cooper Mm -hmm. and he's one i don't i don't think they ever come come back up in the return although i i couldn't say um i think maybe that's what dougie's supposed to be
1: do you think oh really um, in in the return is he supposed to be i mean he's he's the, he's cooper's double but i i didn't make that connection until just now i wonder if he's supposed to
0: be him. i don't know uh yeah right. there's a lot of i don't knows yeah but um <laughs> philip jeffries does come back um uh-huh, I, I just uh-huh. bring him up because I am a huge David Bowie fan. And he he has this ridiculous southern accent in this movie. In his, in his one scene. Um, but it's brilliant. And he comes back as like um, a water heater or something. Like steam's coming out of him. Do you remember? Do you remember uh, that scene? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. It's great. So, yeah. There's a lot of weirdness going on. But to get back to kind of what I think is worth talking about the, um, the, the connection to, to Sadie Doyle is, yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting that she frames, um, she, she frames Laura Palmer as the, yeah, the dead blonde, the, the kind of girl who is promiscuous and, um, and, Dies in every other slasher movie, um, mm-hmm. and in this movie, she's our main character, and she does all these bad things, but we sympathize with her. She's the catalyst for the entire show, mm-hmm. um, and we get we we learn about her through what others say about her. But yeah, it's it's in this movie where it her character really comes together as a, a fully formed human, and mm-hmm. all those contradictions sort of make sense. Um, I think. Right. It's, and I, oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, I, I no, I totally agree with you. And you know, I, I kind of latched onto that word contradiction because um so doyle says that fire walk with me tried to take all those contradictory shards of characterization and make laura a real person the heroine of her own story and i feel like it's that contra those contradictory shards i mean laura is a walking contradiction she is both the angel and and the devil in this Mm -hmm. and we even see that at the end she's literally depicted as an angel and then she's Mm -hmm. also laughing like wearing all black Mm -hmm. uh when she's in the, the Black Lodge. And so it, it just, to me, served as a larger symbol for how women have to be walking contradictions, right? Uh-huh. They have to be both um, perfect and innocent, but also be, like, worldly and knowledgeable and utilitarian. Like, um, the expectation uh-huh. uh, that, that that we in Western society have for women is... It is a walking contradiction like Laura Palmer. And I, I only bring that up just because like through reading this and watching it, it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, Oh my gosh, she's absolutely right. yeah, And I hadn't thought about it in that way before.
0: Yeah. I think it's a really interesting and strong take, um, on a movie that was, you know, really dismissed at its time. Um, I mean, it's mm-hmm. such a weird choice, like looking back in retrospect, but it holds up extremely well, mm-hmm. um, and and you can see, you know, why he chose to make a prequel to the show rather than a mm-hmm. sequel to the the huge cliffhanger um, that the the series ended on, um, mm-hmm. because he's he's really. Building the world in an interesting way. And then in the in the return that came out what two years ago now, um mm-hmm. he just so brilliantly brings it all together while still leaving questions unanswered. I just feel like I have such a better understanding of um the the world. Mm-hmm. Um now to get back to production, I mean it's hard to say anything negative because I mean, it's hard to say anything because you know, it's all just like, it's, it's great. It's brilliant. You know,
1: it's yeah. It's Lynch. I mean, even thinking back to uh, when we did a racerhead, mm-hmm. um, which is a, I, I think watching a racerhead is a masterclass in lighting, mm-hmm. right? Like what he does with light and shadow in that movie is in black and white is incredible. But you see, you even see that in this movie. Um, every shot is a perfect frame. Um, There are symbols placed everywhere Mm -hmm. and everything has intent. Everything has meaning. Um, And even the slightest use of like of, of shadow and reflection is meaningful for Lynch. And like, once you know that about him, then you see it everywhere in his work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so who better, who better to, addressed you know the sort of like the duality of like uh, of a young female than david david lynch right because that's what he works in his 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 canvas is duality like Mm -hmm. that's just what he does yeah i thought it was brilliant yeah so it's like it's one of those where like duh it's a well-made movie
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um I mean, even though it takes a while to get into, like, Twin Peaks properly, um, once we're there, it's it's such a, a, a release. Like, just it's such a joy to hear the score and mm-hmm. to see these recognizable characters. Um, it's not as... Funny as the show, um, although there's still some great humor in it. Especially, mm-hmm. I mean, I love when yeah, there, um, uh, Chester Desmond and Sam Stanley are like talking about the the secret coded message that oh. they received. Like it's brilliant. Yeah,
1: because when you when you first see it and the woman is doing all the like the weird moves and stuff, you're like, "What is happening?" But then, like after that conversation in the car, you're like, "Oh, he's telling us how to read the movie." Exactly. He's, he he's he's giving us he's giving us, like a short mini lesson on symbolism. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's like, oh, okay, so this is this is how we're supposed to watch things now.
0: Yeah. Every detail. Yeah. And so it's just, um, I mean, he's just so good at at balancing those tones, um, Mm -hmm. and, and really capturing kind of, it, it is such a satisfactory, um, film like of, of a TV show. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really, um, inclined to give it a a point for production. Um, I don't, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just great.
1: Well, what about, so yeah, so production, I think is, is a given Uh, monster quality. um, Man, uh, talk about depth. So (laughs) lots of monsters here. I think one of the, one of the monsters we need to talk about is Jacques. (laughs) Just let's talk about Jacques for a second. The guy who owns the bar and is also with them and, like, involved in the sex trafficking thing that's happening with, you know, the underage Mm -hmm. women of the town. Oh my God. Like, yeah. It's a big creep. That, in those scenes as a whole, what's crazy is it's like all of, or all those girls that are depicted are. First of all, underage, mm-hmm. and so it's like one big statement about <clears throat> the fetish fetishizing of youth, and just like the consumption. I like it. It just took me back. Like I I'd forgotten about um that scene that's like in the what the last third of the movie <clears throat> where the in that club. Yeah. And they uh, they take the drugs and uh-huh. get out of the control, and then it ends with um, Laura consoling her friend on the couch, and then her dad's just like, "We gotta go, <laughs> we gotta go uh-huh. get breakfast," and like the, this poor girl is, is just sobbing on the couch.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, oh, man. So that so the dad, what a monster!
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. um... You know, a, a great job of, of what Lynch does in Eraserhead and Blue Velvet and, like, pulling back the curtain of the American dream and, and showing mm-hmm. um, kind of the CD underbelly um, that, you know, has its own culture and economy. And um, mm-hmm. it is really disturbing to to acknowledge, um, I think another another monster. Although, although I mean, a lot of these, I mean, all the monsters are are, are men essentially, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of the men, um, they they take advantage of Laura. They seduce her, they, uh, objectify her, they, they exploit her. Um, Bob is kind of our main villain. Um, and, uh, Laura says about Bob that he's been having me since I was 12. He wants to be me or kill me. Um, And so on top of all of these other um, kind of traumatizing experiences, uh, Laura's uh, a victim of like repeated sexual abuse um, Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. this spirit who is in the body of her father. And, And, and so that, I mean, I think it informs some of the the contradictory choices that it, it could potentially um, inform some of the contradictory choices in in her behavior um, as a sufferer of, of PTSD. Um, but I think that um, really we're seeing this this town full of monsters, all kind of descending on her on mm-hmm. the beautiful blonde prom queen. Um, even her therapist is taking advantage of her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no man is, is safe. Um, mm-hmm. And, um and, and, and so it's, it's, it's tragic. I mean, it's, it's horrible. It's at the point, I mean, we, we know where the show begins, so we know that her death is inevitable. But, like, combining um, just the inevitability of her death with all of these men kind of circling around her and taking advantage of her, it just... It all leads to just this like depressing endpoint where, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it, it could be any of the men that ultimately kill her, but it, it happens to be her father or Bob and her father's body. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to watch. Yeah.
1: I, I think, uh, so one thing that doyle says is that girls are left reckoning with the fact that their social status, their human value, even their basic survival are all suddenly contingent on men and i think that's what doyle you know that's what it all boils down to with with laura is that like everything is contingent all the way up until the end like you said is that the end of this movie is so brutal so brutal okay. and really scary Uh, The way it's shot with like the spotlight and it's like changing views and even the way that the, I mean, like the girls are all bound and Mm -hmm. uh, it is, I I was terrified by the end. And I, and I had forgotten, I think it's because Twin Peaks, a lot of it is there's, there's so much like lightheartedness in a lot of parts of Twin Peaks.
0: I'd forgotten about how brutal this movie is, especially at the end. Right. Well, I mean, it's also, you know, this is the first piece of, of Twin Peaks that isn't, you know, made for television. And so they can right. go there mm. and they, you know, but, but I think, you know, a criticism of the time was that, you know, it's, you know, just using that to show boobs or to be more violent. But mm-hmm. I mean, I would say it, it, none of it feels gratuitous it all like just reinforces the brutality of mm-hmm. uh, Laura's life so
1: yeah it, another thing that duel says it hurts uh, she's talking specifically about Firewalk with me it hurts in a way all those other dead girls never have fire walk with me forces us to stare at Laura until the stereotypes have dissolved. And all we can see is a child in unbearable pain, which is what the dead blondes have always been. It's what we all are or were us disposable girls. And she uses that,
0: <clears throat> uh,
1: that word disposable girl um, to kind of like counter what the final girl is. And that's uh-huh. why I think like our choice uh, like or our choices Uh, for this episode with uh, prom night and fire walk with me, I think are the perfect uh, contrast of one another because we have, you know, we have, we have Jamie Lee Curtis, who is like sort of the quintessential final girl. Mm -hmm. And then we have uh, Laura Palmer, who I think is maybe more of what Doyle is talking about as a disposable girl. I mean, she's the catalyst into all these things. She's, she's the body until we meet her pretty much through, through the characters in twin peaks, but you know, through what other people say about her, but then even more directly in this movie, we mm-hmm. like, we see her for who she is. And,
0: and when we do, it's, it's jarring. It's terrifying. Yeah. 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 And so I think that's a good place to end it. Um, yeah. I, but- I, think, I think it's points all around, at least for me. Yeah, sa- same here. Um, I think this is this is one for the canon. I, I would say that you know there is uh, the caveat that you know this is part of a larger piece, and it's not going to hold up nearly as well if you haven't seen the show. Um, See, that's the thing. When I first watched this movie,
1: it was after I had watched Twin Peaks because actually our uh, our friend Steven he was sort of my usher into the Twin Peaks world and that's what he said in the beginning he said okay you're going to watch all of Twin Peaks and then
0: watch Firewalk With Me. Yeah that's what I did too because I knew that it came afterwards mm-hmm. and so I wanted to kind of see it um, w- in order of production not chronological order and I'm glad I did because this is one of those instances where like watching the prequel does not watching the prequel first does not help you understand what comes after. No,
1: I, I don't think it would. I don't think somebody necessarily uninitiated to excuse me, twin peaks would, uh, would read it the same.
0: Yeah. Um, I think, I think the core of what Sadie Doyle says in her book, I think that would come across. Sure. Um, But yeah, I don't think the power would be there because you don't know. Yeah, you you don't know these characters. You don't know the world. All the Black Lodge stuff would be be just so confusing and confusing. Yeah, yeah.
1: But 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 I still I still think that it's powerful in all the categories
0: of our rubrics. So yeah, Um, and I can't wait to get the uh, Criterion Blu-ray on this. This is going to be. There's going to be some good stuff on there. Um, Anytime, get a pick apart Lynch. It's pretty fun. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I'm the same with you. It it totally made me want to revisit the show. Um, That's so much time. I know, (laughs) know but there's just so much there. You know. I know. Yeah. Um, But anyway, um, that concludes our um, our episode tonight and um, our reading of, of most of Chapter 2. Um, however, we're going to um, have another episode that serves as a sort of bridge between Chapter 2 and Chapter 3. More slashers. Um, yeah. And so um, next time, we will be talking about Prom Night 2 Hello, Mary Lou, and Sleepaway Camp.
1: Yeah, both first watches for me.
0: Yes, and I mean, as someone who's seen both of these um, insane masterpieces, um, (laughs) I can't wait to talk about it with you because these movies are just bonkers. Um, So, yeah, it'll be kind of... um, It'll be a fun episode, I think. It's well it's it, it
1: I think it's fitting with the chapter title. The tap chapter title is virginity, and so I'm going into both these movies like a sleepaway camp virgin.
0: Yes and a prom night virgin. All right. Well, um, I guess you'll end hopefully you'll you'll end up as the final girl and, and survive the experience. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I hope so all right well
1: you can uh, check out more episodes in our study of sadie doyle's book dead blondes and bad mothers at the or follow us on twitter
0: at the underscore terror underscore test pencils down the terror test is over <laughs>